Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are Eric Devine and Philippe Bargiel. Liga served up a couple of heavyweight clashes this weekend with teams looking for momentum heading into that winter break next month. Could anyone steal a march on Nice? Could anyone pull away from the dreaded drop zone nice and early? All this and more after the news. Wren continued their unobtrusive rise up the table, recording a 1-0 home win against the suddenly struggling Toulouse, thanks to Yuan Gorkouf's early strike that sends the club into fourth place. On Saturday, Monaco laid down another jaw-dropping performance, thrashing Marseille 4-0 behind a Valais-Germain brace, and uh, they are now just a point off top spot. Elsewhere in the multiplex, Nantes and Lille played out a scoreless draw at the Beaujois, while Montpellier struck the woodwork apologies twice, but could only earn the same result against, uh, against Nancy at home. There was, however, more entertainment to be had in Metz, where substitute Thibaut Vion scored a double to earn Le Grenat, a gut-wrenching point against visiting Lorient. Bordeaux also got a double from a substitute with Francois Camano coming scoring twice at the death to power host Bordeaux past Dijon, while Caen continued experimentations with a five-man defence that saw them steadily climb up the table, recording a one-all draw at home to Gangomp. On Sunday, a feisty affair saw Saint-Étienne earn an elusive road win at Angers, while Nice were held one-all at home by Bastia. Paris Saint-Germain held off Lyon 2-1 at the Parc OL on Sunday evening, with a penalty and a header from Edinson Cavani, disappointing the home crowd after an entertaining second half from Lyon. In Ligue 2, match day 17 has already got underway, but the weekend's, result saw Trois, the weekend's results saw Trois go three clear at the top, while Amiens laying down a serious case for promotion as they beat second place Brest 3-0 to rise above their opponents. And that's all for the news, but remember, for all the latest, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with the big clash of the weekend on Sunday evening as Leon hosted PSG with the champions eventually running out 2-1 winners. They didn't have it all their way, but Philip, was this a deserved result based on the 90 minutes of this game? Uh, yeah, you can't say it wasn't. Uh, it was a deserved result based on the uh, last 45 minutes of this game. Lyon had um, a rather uh, actually failed their the first half, uh, playing um, more of a 5-4-1 and a than a uh, 4-5-1 uh, with uh, Ribus trying to counter Aurier, which didn't work at all, as Aurier was able to get forward and uh, put some crosses in. So it was basically all PSG. I don't remember Aureola being in any kind of danger in the um, in the first half but then uh, the substitute came came in and um it was uh, Valbuena Valbuena and Fekir coming uh, coming on the pitch and that changed everything and uh, Lyon equalized very very early this is one of the things that um, have me annoyed this week about PSG I thought, I thought you were quite um um nice to, uh, to in regards to PSG's performance on on uh, Wednesday, I think it was at Arsenal, where uh, Peugeot went a goal up and then just uh, just sat back. Um, last night, I saw it was a bit of the same. 
they score a goal. Uh, stupid, uh, stupid fun the penalty area. Cavani clinically dispatching. Uh, Cavani actually had a had quite a good game actually. Um, didn't do didn't do much, but he um, he did score a brace in a in a big game in a big game in the league, which is um, good. It's good. To, it's good for his confidence. It's good for it's good for PSG. Um, but I was really annoyed to see that they just don't have this killer instinct. And I'm not quite sure whether uh, that's due to uh, Unai or you know the players becoming a bit too lazy when they when they start uh, being uh, being a goal up. But anyway, um, Lyon had a great second half with um, lots of possession, lots of uh, counter counter attacking option. And uh, speaking of counter attacks, Peugeot's one was great. Uh, Oye going very fast, Meunier delivering a cross to Cavani who uh, who scored his second goal, and Peugeot won a very very big game. Um, especially since uh, Nice Nice drew, so yeah, it was. Uh, I, yeah, I would say the draw was a fair res fair result because PSG had a good first half and you had a, had a decent second half. So one one certainly wouldn't have wouldn't have been a disgrace. But in the end, you know, uh, great uh, great character. But PSG again, just like against Arsenal, just made it hard for themselves, but they got the job done. Yeah, and you, you've already mentioned the main man there, and that's Edinson Cavani, who leads Ligue top scoring charts. And he scored a brace in this one, Eric. He got an eight in L'Equipe, although that might be a little bit contentious. But was this maybe mm. the Uruguayan at his best, Eric? No. I mean, he didn't do anything in the first half besides the penalty. And I, I think, you know, Philip, you'd probably agree with me that, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to dog him or show homerism towards Leon here. It, he was a total non entity in the, in the first half. Mm. Uh, he did pop up. Uh, with that goal in the second half, but was that him or was that down to poor marking by Raphael and a brilliant cross by Mounier? Mm. Um, I posted on my own Twitter feed uh, a, a little gif or vine or whatever of the goal, and Mounier's acceleration and cross is just <laughs> really a thing to behold. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. Yes, I mean he was clinical with 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 chance with the, the chance from open play he did have. He didn't really have a whole lot else presented to him, but no, I I think that there's still there's still more to come to see this player at the absolute top top of this game. I don't think this was uh, by any means a, a definitive performance uh, from from the bigger Aguayan. Yeah, that that should frighten the rest of league. And when you said think that he scored 13 goals already this season, fair fair point that there's maybe a couple of penalties, but he has grabbed quite a fair few goals so far. But one of the surprise um, outcomes of this game, um, Philip, at least in the in the team sheet, was the. Hatem Ben Arfa starting for the first time in Liga, at least for Paris Saint-Germain. I think it might have been since the Bastia game to start the season. I think he started that one. Uh, how was he in that in that role gifted to him by Emery? Did he did he live up to expectations, or is there? Does it seem like it was more obvious the reasons of why he's probably been left out in in the last couple of months? No, he didn't have a, a particularly great game, which is uh, proven by Unai. Um, subbing him at the first, um, being being Peugeot's first sub. To uh, to be honest, he is he had to be to play in a very difficult position, which was second strike in the four two three one. So just behind Cavani. So if Cavani could not, could not be found, this was basically uh, probably due to uh, Ben Arfa not doing a very very uh, good job. I, I honestly was disappointed by his overall performance. He it was a lot of back passes. It was a lot of, lot of lots of uh, simple passes, and when the counter attack was supposed to be. Uh, made it just uh, wasn't um, 
it just didn't uh, didn't happen. I was um, actually sort of uh, Lucas had a had a, a better game than uh, than Ben Arthur, but yeah, it's not um, it's not the same the same position. And um, yeah, just uh, just a real just a real shame that um, he was played. It's it's probably not not the best uh, his best position. So maybe I, I just can't see Unai. Um, Changing Pierre's formation to what 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 he was playing at Nice. Uh, um, so, for example, a diamond shape four four two behind two strikers because first of all, Pierre do not have two strikers. I can't see Cavani and Augustin playing um, next to uh, next to one another. But no, it was uh, it was quite uh, it was quite disappointing from uh, from Ben Arthur, uh, Generally speaking, probably uh, one of the worst um, worst Pierre players last night. Let's move on to the opponents and and I, Leon. Okay, oh, sorry, Dave, I just yeah. just quickly on looking at the system. I, I'm I'm in the process of writing a tactical analysis of this match for mm-hmm. outside of the boot. So watching it, I've actually watched it twice. <laughs> uh, but you can see a lot of things by watching it the second time. I yeah, I can understand so that. I I I actually saw this as Ben Arfa dropping into midfield and Lucas playing much more centrally. Um, I don't know if, if Ben Arfa was really operating as a, a classic number 10 here, so I'm not really sure it would be fair to slag him off yeah. for not providing Cavani with service. Because I think I think Lucas was probably tasked with more of that. And obviously, Maxwell and Aurier are the type of player that are going to look to get crosses in, too. I actually thought Ben Arfa had a decent match. I think that uh, he was able to hold up play uh, and allow allowed the, the wide players to get involved a lot. A lot quite a bit more that that is Maxwell and Serge Aurier who are essentially playing as wingbacks they're playing so far up at times uh, with Matuidi dropping deep and playing a little bit more withdrawn to allow Maxwell forward as well um, so you know I, I think that uh, could he have had more defined class in terms of creating assists and chances yes absolutely but again has he ever been asked to to play that role even last year at Nice which I think we can fairly say is probably the best season in his career. I mean, Philip. Yeah. Yeah. Would you disagree? We both been watching him. No, for probably quite a not. While. But once once again, he's um, yeah. this position is probably the hardest in 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 football in general. Um, you you had um, go, going back to to Arsenal, you had Mesut Ozil playing in that position. He's suppo- which is supposed to be his natural position. And how often has he has he gone missing? It really is an extremely hard position to play in. And sometimes either the player has to go backwards, has to drop deep to get the ball, or has to go uh, side to side in order to uh, get rid of. Um, of the uh, of the defensive midfielders or the holding midfielders, with Ferry and Tolisso doing a, a rather um, apt defensive job, maybe Tolisso more than more than Ferry. I don't know if you if you if you reckon that three is a does does justice. Um, that's the great day uh, Lee keep gave to Ferry. Eric. Uh, yeah, I had no yeah. problem with that. But what I yeah, do no want to say is though <laughs> is is it really fair to take Ben Arfa? To task for being asked to play in a four-two-three-one no. as a playmaker when he's never had to do that before. He was used on the wing for the most part with Leon, with Marseille, uh, yeah. in Newcastle, and when he was playing well for them, uh, 2010-11. Uh, so he's never been asked to do this. And if Emery gives him a rare start, is it fair of us as as pundits, as media, to mm. say, "Oh, Ben Arfa had a crap game. He's not being asked to play." <sighs> Play in a it's position. not his natural position, is that what you mean? 
Yeah, because even in that di- even as a nominal attacking midfielder in that diamond with yeah. uh, Nice last season, he was using the movement of Playa, uh, of mm-hmm. Alexander Mendy, of, uh, of Germain to, to find space and to run on. And he had Sarri, he had Cosiello, he had definitively creative, if not attacking creative midfielders behind him, were able to lay the ball on for him and to link play. He had Ricardo Pereira stretching play in wide areas as well. So it was a team that allowed him to function in a role that maybe it doesn't fit into a box that is his time with Nice, but got the best out of his talents in a unique way. So to say, oh, Ben Arfa's crap because he didn't work in this system, I don't really think that's very fair on, fair on him as a player. And I, Again, this is not me saying Ben is a great talent and deserves to start week in, week out. Um, I, I do think that he's not part of PSG's first choice 11, um, but I think it's a little harsh on the player um, at this point in time to, to say he played poorly. Mm. Uh, I think he was misused is a more accurate description. Mm. No, I do. I do agree. It's a different formation um, than being played on top of a of a diamond shaped four-four-two. Um, it's much easier uh, for him to to create chance and get between um, get between the lines. I, I mean, to to be honest, I don't, I don't uh, give much um, much credit to to that uh, that formation. I think it's uh, it's run its course a bit, and that uh, mostly uh, it, it just goes to show mostly. Uh, Teams do play some kind of variation of a four-three-three, which is not uh, a four-two-three-one, and some uh, quite a bit actually play play with three at the back. Uh, you have uh, you have a couple of diamond-shaped uh, midfields. Some work very very well. Some don't work at all. Um, so I don't. I, I, yeah. Once again, I really do believe that this position is is probably the hardest position to play in in that mm-hmm. system. So, yeah. but but I still, but still Ben Affleck, you do you do expect more, and that's that's what that was a general, you know, um, impression. I, I I think you make an excellent point there, Eric. Of of a lot of people group a number ten into that role of a Mesut Özil or someone like that, who's a creative, completely creative player that doesn't tend to attack play, but he's a different kind of attacking midfielder. He's a direct player who wants to go and score the goals or be in those areas to do the runs that lead up to very easy goals. And yeah, they didn't really try to get the best out of him. But let's talk about the opponents now, Eric, and and, and that's Leon. And Raphael, again, had, had moments of brilliance. He hit the post that eventually led to Leon's equaliser, but he's at least partially to blame, if not completely to blame for the penalty. He's also out of position, really, and and, and loses Cavani for the second. Can he keep playing at this performance level? And does it just completely elevate, as, you're, as you mentioned on a regular basis, the need for Christophe Jallet to return? Well, I mean, the penalty is obviously Maxime Gonalon's fault. I mean, let's, let's be clear on that. Yeah. He... Hauls down Mata, you know, clear cut penalty. I have no issue with that, and there's no homers involved. But yeah, I mean, it, okay. Again, referring back to the goal that Cavani scored to, to win, uh, we look at uh, if, if you if you can find it on the internet. I, mean, I think there's a highlight on Liga that shows the goal in its entirety. Aurier's running through. He lays it off for Munier. Now at the bottom of the screen, here's Rafael tra- tracking the run of Cavani. He pulls up. Straight stops, pulls pulls up, slows to not stops, but he pulls to a jog. He pulls up to a jog, and Cavani can. Now again, Cavani's what six one, six feet. 
you know, Rafael's five nine on a good day. I, is, is he going to, if he's there, is he going to genuinely contest the header? Probably not. But I, <laughs> it's really hard to, to give him any excuses in that regard. Um, yeah, it's it was just just unbelievable. I, I I do think that Jale, who's I believe had a contract at the end of the season, um, and if he doesn't want to end his career, is going to be very motivated to get back into the team and make a difference. Again, you know, at thirty three, he's not going to be the best attacking option going forward that Rafael is, and and Rafael has been impressive uh, at times as an attacking force. I, I'm not going to sell him short on that, but I think defensively that he's just too much of a liability. Leon. Sorry, looking at their formation, played essentially a four-four-two. Uh, whether you want to call that a double pivot or not is, is a matter of some contention. But you had Fakir and Lacazette up top, mm. Gazal and Valbuena on the wings, Tolisso and Gonalon in front of the defense. Go, with Tolisso getting forward a little bit more. Now, in that system, you you have width, and whether it's Cornet in for one of Gazal or Valbuena as a material two, you've still got a similarly pacey player who tends to get into wide areas. You don't need as much attacking impetus from the fullbacks in that regard. So for me, I think what you would lose from, from Rafael in an attacking sense and what, versus what you would gain from Jalia in a defensive sense, I think that looking at this 4-4-2 on the night, I think it looked really good against uh, you know one of Ligon's best best sides. I think Thiago Silva played a superb match. I think that uh, Marquinhos wasn't far behind him either. Uh, and m- the reason that PSG stayed in this match was down to the marking of Rafael on that goal, but also the defense. And, you know, Genesio, through both substitutions, hit on, hit on a, a system that, again, underscored the need for a defensively solid right back. And Rafael is never that. And I, I really do think that... Um, it's time for, for Jolly to make a return. I, I feel like I had seen something on Twitter saying he was with the youth team, I, but I, I would have to confirm that. that, or that he's, he, he was back in training to some extent last week, and I don't know why uh, he hadn't uh, been named to the squad this week. Maybe he, he played a, a CFA2 match this, this weekend with, with, the, with the reserves or something, but I, I, I'd have to look to confirm that. But I, I really hope he's back soon. Yeah, Maybe you're going to buy a right back in January. I'd rather see us buy a left back, but yeah. Uh, yeah um, two, two things about you. I mean, um, it hasn't been said, I reckon, uh, by the media, what great work Gazal did on the build-up to the goal. No, it was a great work, great run by Rafael. And Valbuena, credit to him for uh, the goal, because it's not that easy a volley to make, really, with, with the ball coming over. And it's a great volley. You know, Aweoli is not that uh, out of place in, in the center of the goal, so it really is a great goal. And speaking of Valbuena, he did come out, I'm sorry for opening this kind of worms again, uh, he did come out and say yeah, that uh, this uh, sex tape scandal with Benzema did, uh, uh, did mean that he wasn't going to, um, he, he wasn't going to play the Euros. And once again, I just uh, completely agree that uh, uh, Deschamps was simply waiting for Benzema to make, to do something stupid, even though he didn't do anything, but uh, you know, that gave him an excuse. I'm still pretty sure Valbuena would have would have uh, would have made the squad had uh, had that scandal not been all over all over the papers. And um, yeah, it just goes to show that uh, he is that guy is a good player. He's a he can be a really big game player, 
I just don't know uh, what he should do in January. I just don't know if she, he should first ever rate in uh, this uh, your side or just uh, go somewhere else. Yeah, it is a difficult decision, and I, I do want difficult for him. And I, I, I do want to pick up on what you mentioned, there, Eric, about Raphael and his inability to track back. And you mentioned the heights of the players, and I always think that there was an example of this again in Man United's game at the weekend that uh, Ibrahimovic had a header against a much is much much taller than Andre, uh, 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 Cresswell, the left back for West Ham, and. Just being there can disrupt a player's jump. If you're in the way where they can be landing or if you're in the way of where they're looking to generate power on a header or direction, you can completely change the way a player has to head the ball or at least leap for the ball. So even just being there in the way, not even jumping can make a difference. Mm. And the fact that he stopped on that goal is completely, completely inexcusable in my, in my view because you can have no argument that players should at least be in the way or at least be tempting to make some kind of adjustment for him. But another player I wanted to Isn't mention... Isn't that like seven, uh, more than half, half of 50% of defending, just being there? Yeah, just being it's there, just... positioning. <laughs> as, as many would claim, it's the, I, I always think it's the most important thing a defender needs mm. to know. Raphael yeah. seems to have uh, non, no positional sense anymore and his speed's starting to lack a little bit less than it used to be and it's well, not did, did he have positional sense at Manchester United I mean was he much much better than what he is now he was a little bit quicker if he okay he's got, yeah he's like because he's lost an inch of pace or so it, mm. it affects you when you you can't cover yourself on your tracks as easily but I do want to mention a player who maybe could have done a little bit more it, it might be a little bit harsh but Philip do you think Lacazette maybe could have affected this game a little bit more than he ended up doing is this maybe him hiding in a big game again um i don't think so he was um he obviously uh, was up against it in the first half with uh, most of the sides uh being uh, behind the ball and you're not having much uh, much of the ball and when he was on the ball he didn't he didn't do uh, he wasn't he wasn't that bad i do seem to remember at some at some point just after the uh just after the equalizer uh, Lacazette has a chance and the, the, the goal was pretty much gaping and he was uh, actually obstructed by uh, by the ref i don't know my stream was uh, was jumping a bit so i can't can't say for sure but no i thought he was uh, he was okay i mean i don't uh, i don't recall anything um Bad that he that he did yeah they keep gave him a four well yeah I probably would have gone um, up until five or six but no so he was he was okay Eric yeah I agree I, I think that uh, I think that one thing is that he's a little bit undersold about like that even though he's a great finisher is he he always almost always ha huh, almost always uh, gives good effort in terms of his movement in terms of his tracking back in terms of his energy and trying to pull players apart. But the fact is, once Leon, as Philip rightly said, it was definitely a 5-4-1 in the first half. Mm. Once Leon had, had resorted to that, he was simply too isolated. Mm. Um, you had uh, that, that left uh, Tolisso on the left side of midfield uh, and uh, Gezal dropping deep to try to link play. And there's a huge gap basically there uh, that Rebus and Morel tried to fill with the odd forward forward, but there wasn't an, an even amount of space for the players. And, and you know, it, he was simply marked out of the match. I mean, with Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, he's basically having to, you know, battle against two world-class defenders. And I don't think that that's necessarily a quote-unquote fair task to ask of any any striker. So, uh, yeah. I think that's fair. I, I was maybe being a little bit harsh. I was aware when I wrote the question down. But I want to finish very quickly on Eric. You, you, I remember you mentioning that 
you were a little bit disappointed by the refereeing and, and PSG's apparent <laughs> maybe unpunished plays. It might, might sound like bitter grapes to some, but I'll allow you no. to air your grievances. <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I think that there were a number of fouls. Uh, particularly, uh, there was one on uh, Mukhtar Diakabi in the area. I want to see by Tiago Mata about six or seven minutes after the PSG penalty. It was pretty clear cut and not too far away from the referee. I'm surprised that wasn't a penalty. Um, and there were a number of fouls committed by PSG players uh, in open play also that I think could have been cards or a yellow that could have been a booking. Uh, ben Arfa's stamp on Gonalon, I think, uh, is, is a good example of that, maybe uh, really raking down the heels of the player. And, Philip, I, what are your thoughts on this? Is this homerism or did PSG get away with a little bit in terms of how physical they were? As as usual, I think uh, I think the the ref is uh, is uh, still a bit bottling, and even with uh, Zlatan uh, Zlatan uh, being being off, they're still part of the um, governing body. That is uh, quite uh, thinking twice about giving a decision against uh, against PSG. Unfortunately, all right. I feel vindicated no, having a PSG fan. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, I'm always very. Uh, this is something that has been. Um, uh, I've been uh, criticised for during during the week by some guy on on, on Twitter saying that um, um, uh, I was uh, I was naive to say to to think that Peugeot should go for break and score a second goal uh, at Arsenal, but you know I, I do I do. I do realize that sometimes they're extremely um, demanding of my own club, and that uh, you know if you don't if you don't deserve uh, um, that type of fan, if you don't, if my team doesn't deserve to win, I don't I don't even want them to win, which is some kind of just can be seen as strange, you know. But uh, no, I just uh, I, I, I just still think that uh, there are some uh, some get out of jails um, type of decisions by the refs. Uh, a bit less than the past few seasons, though, mm -hmm. I think. At least it's it's nice to see some honesty for once. But no, yeah, we'll, I mean, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll move on now. And it finally happened last week, unfortunately, after our podcast last week. But Lille have confirmed the sacking of Frederick Antonetti. Uh, it was a turbulent year or so for him in the hot seat, Eric. But was this the right decision in the end to to relieve him of his duties? I think yes, but at the same time, it's still a little bit unfair on on the manager. Um, I think that he did fantastically well coming in and replacing Evernard last year to get them not only up the table but into European competition, uh, finishing not only ahead of Rennes, who had been up there all season, but also ahead of St. Etienne. Um, but the injury crisis he's had to do with this season is, is also, you know, he's been missing Savelli, he's been missing Basha in defense. He's been missing uh, Munir Obadi, who is a very underrated player for me. I think that uh, his ability to control the game and, and pick, a, pick a long pass uh, could have really added a lot of dynamism to Lille's midfield over the past couple months. He's been missing for the better part of three months. Uh, he's been missing Depreville. He's been missing Ronnie Lopez. He's been missing Ryan Mendez. Adair's been out of form. Um, yes, the results should have been better still, even just considering the, the players that they had. But, um yeah, I, I think it's really hard to lay lay all that at the feet of Antonetti. I would have given him till the winter. Uh, have, a, have a full squad of players, see if he can get some results. Um, and and a, draw, a scoreless draw at not isn't a bad result. I mean, again, this was under uh, Pat, Patrick, oh, I'm blanking on his last name. There's a temporary manager in charge right now. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think Lille were stunning, but they had – they had they still showed shoots of, of regression. I think that uh, playing this four two three one with Obadi getting forward and Amadou sitting a little bit deeper, 
I think that that's a that's something to build build on. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Not not necessarily the manager's fault. I think that there's a lot to be said for um, showing a bit more patience, but understand uh, certainly with the ambitions that this club seek to have uh, and have had in the past. That yeah, is the new, Do we know the new guy? No, it, not, but this is a temporary. This is a. I, I don't know what yeah. his background is, but he's not the permanent replacement. No, no, so, um, I'm sure he isn't. But uh, uh, there was a, a pretty good, um, good um, article on the keep uh, saying, uh, stating names like uh, Giretz, Wilmot, and uh, and uh, and the like. Uh, Wilmot, I think, is a good shout. I think with uh, with all the with the Belgian um, someone who shit tactically. Replacing someone who shit tactically, I I might disagree with that. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I I'm not quite I'm not quite sure what the what the um, uh, other other options are. I mean, uh, is is there anyone even close or you know? Well, the 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 intending report is still that with Gerard Lopez looking to take over the club, he's still very much in with the camp of Marcelo Bielsa. Um, yeah. That's the one man he wants to take in charge, but Bielsa is pretty adamant of wanting to take over when the club is in a, a better position in terms of him coming of in probably during a... As in, he wants a, because of the ideas he has, he wants a full summer with the team to make sure they adapt his ideas, probably to save his reputation if they don't adapt quickly enough and they end up continuing near the drop zone. But would that maybe it's be the cool. right kind of it's Patrick Kuro. Cool. Yeah. Just, just looks it up. Uh, Eric, you can take that one if you like. Yeah, I, I um, ah, you're. I would rather see. Honestly, look, I, I, I like Leo, but this team is a team in transition. You've got Savelli and Basha. Um, Savelli's already said he wants to go to Argentina in the spring. Um, Basha's older, and Yama's older. Korsha's destined for a better club. I think we can't we can't fool ourselves on that one. Let Leo turn it over and and give it to a manager who's got experience in Liga, uh, and can get the best out of these out of what's going to be there and build this team, not, not, you know, try and scrape an 11th place finish. Um, I don't think that serves anybody right. I think that uh, Leon should, or Leo should appoint a, a placeholder manager who can avoid relegation and then look for a big candidate in the summer. There, there might be, you know, a wealth of better options. Uh, the job might even be more appealing with money to spend at the behest of Lopez and a full summer to work with the players rather than, you know, crowded fixture list. Again, Lille are still in the Coupe de la Ligue. There's that to contend with. There's the Coupe de France. Um, anyone jumping in now is going to have to deal with a lot of matches in, in very rapid succession. And I don't think that Lille right now is an appealing job for anybody other than someone who's desperate to get their career back on track. Uh, on Jarrett, I, I thought he would have been a fantastic, fantastic appointment, but apparently he's been ill. Um, I, you know, my thoughts are with him. Um, and he was very impressive when he uh, rocketed Marseille up the table, but that was almost yeah. a decade ago. I still think he would be the type of manager that that um, Leo need, but he's unfortunately not uh, not available at this point in time. So, uh, yeah, I think that that Fournier or Guard make the make the most sense um, given the experience they have, especially uh, both of them having worked under a fairly limited budget, uh, given Leon's financial troubles during their time during their time their periods in charge of the club. Um, so yeah, there's there, that's my two cents. I, I think one of those two makes the most sense for the immediate, for the future. I think that if Lopez does buy the club, uh, they should look at a bigger name, maybe come back to Blanc, um, or maybe maybe Deschamps in 2018, if if uh, he, he chooses to step down after the World Cup. 
How disappointing would it be to be to be a Lille fan today? Because they were, well, they weren't they weren't that great the last season, but uh, for at least a half season with uh, Buffon in, in full form, Benzia not playing too too badly. They had um, a League Cup uh, final against uh, against PSG, and they had the European football to look forward to. A nice ground, uh, a big ground, and um, a new ground, and. Uh, and uh, and the good managers, the manager basically got them got them out of jail and had them playing good football. The place was I don't know optimistic. It uh, it sounded like Lille were going to have a good season. We, um, I don't remember what we predicted for this outfit, but I to, to be honest, it it looked to me more like uh, keeping that European spot rather than worrying about relegation. And now it's one hundred percent about worrying about relegation. It's you know such uh, such a shame. It's a real shame. Yeah. And it's interesting to try and think of if they're not going to be able to get Bielsa, in, which it looks like unlikely. Who, who takes that mantle in the meantime? Is there someone like maybe Hubert Fournier, who's not been in a job, rejected that one at Lorient? Or the, the amount of managers that reject that Lorient manager job, do they try and go for someone like that, like Corbis or, or Bope? Or, uh, it does throw up a number of interesting opportunities to see what, what does happen in, to Lille in the... In the meantime, at least, but now I think Bob is pretty set in his ways as a consultant being and doesn't really want to uh, go back to actual work. And who would who would want no, that stress? No, no offense to to pundits all all over the world, but so uh, yeah, he's got he's got pretty book pretty good deal at being. Um, yeah. It's at least a lot more relaxing and less stressful, at least to be a, a pundit than a manager. I can I can absolutely yeah. wholeheartedly agree That's... with him with that. Yeah, I, I would think so. <laughs> now to a, a game at the weekend with teams going in opposite directions in Rennes and Toulouse. The hosts got a 1-0 win uh, that could have really been more in the 19 minutes, extending their unbeaten run at home and excluding that loss to uh, PSG. They've won from like five of their last eight and are in fourth. Now, Eric, can they challenge for Europe this season? They should challenge for Europe. I mean, this team has spent a ton of money, has a great academy, uh, yeah, they, they, they can. I, I think in, with Saint-Étienne and Lyon struggling, you know, I think you'd have to look at Rennes and Gangamp as probably the best candidates to finish in those European places outside of the current top three. Uh, I think that we're seeing you know, a better dynamism in midfield with a... Uh, I, I did watch the match on Friday with, um, with Andre and Perchic over the starting pair that had started the season. That's Joseph Fernandez and uh, Clément Chantal. I think you've got more energy there. I think Intep had a great match against Toulouse. Uh, the the young defender Yoris Nagnon. Nagnon. I'm not really quite sure how to pronounce his name. Who? Uh, uh, Joris Nagnon. He's. Uh, yeah. He's we we have prob- uh, problems uh, pronouncing his name too. It's Nagnon. Just Nagnon. Okay. Not, thank you. Not, uh, almost uh, almost as hard to pronounce in French than in English. Um. But yeah, he's. Uh, I think that you know we're finally starting to see uh, a better a better approach from this team. They, they're still short a striker. If they've got money in the winter window, sell some sell some of these excess players and get a. Uh, I mean, they don't. They have six central defenders in the squad. I don't think they really need quite that much depth. I, I think that there's um, some transfer moves to be made there to bring in a, a higher level of a striker. Maybe someone who's gone to a bigger club and, and isn't isn't doing as well as they would have liked. Uh, I don't know, maybe someone like, um, oh, let's see, who 
how about Umar Niasse, who uh, had a great reputation in Russia, came to Everton under Martinez, hasn't gotten a look at under Komen. Someone like that, someone who's being ill-used somewhere else, uh, but could be uh, you know, a good focal point of an attack uh, that is, seems to just be a striker away from things. There's much more dynamism in the midfield. Uh, wide play's improving. Uh, who knew's had a couple great matches this season. Ntep in full form is, you know, he's been a French international. There's a reason for that. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason Ren shouldn't continue to, to look good. Um, Costille also, I, I think, has had a better season thus far than last. So, yeah. And you mentioned really the, the key man who did really impress in that game, and that's Paul Georges Ntep. Uh, he's out of contract in the summer, Philip. Really? How integral is it that they try and keep him, or at least uh, it, it's going to be a tough January otherwise if they can't try and convince him to stay, isn't it? Well, I'm quite surprised at this. Maybe most of the clubs have been um, basically um, sort sort about his uh, his uh, recent uh, injury record. But yeah, I'm quite surprised that um, this can't be this can't be good for for Rennes actually, because uh, in in those kind of situations, he's as a player decides who to who to sign for in January, and uh, so he leaves in he leaves in June for absolutely nothing. And uh, well, if I were Rennes, I would have uh, offered a new contract, but. You know, I'm not, um, and um, he probably wants um, lots of money, much more than he is at. Uh, he's on at Rennes, and I can see a few sides like Marseille, Lyon, uh, Nice, maybe uh, trying to trying to sign him, trying to sign sign him on. It's still very um, very uh, surprising. Um, so maybe I don't know. Maybe he's a bit too greedy. I'm just uh, just uh, speculating here. Eric, what do you think? I mean, if they can't get him signed by that sort of January time, do they stick or do they twist? I mean, it, they could be. Uh, they're not. I'm not saying they're going to hold out for ten million for Ntep, but maybe get five get minutes of free. Five million versus a free. Uh, I mean, Ren's a club with money. I, <laughs> I, I think if I'm Ren, I keep him. If I if I if I can't sign him to a new contract, I think that there is. I'm not trying to say anything bad about Nice. But there's a small chance that Nice would slip up down the stretch, and I do think Ren are best position to take advantage of that, which would put them in, potentially in the Champions League. And I, I think that the potential there, again, this club has been injury hit to start the season. Things seem to be improving at this point in time. I, I would keep in tap no matter what, even if I can't resign them. It's a tough one, isn't it? It's always the, the, the issues of being a manager. Do you stick or do you twist in those sort of situations where you can't hold on to a player? Do you try to take the money when you can? But let's chat about Toulouse very quickly, who, who did have a very fast start to the season. We're really pulling up trees, beating the likes of Monaco and Paris Saint-Germain. But they've, they've been struggling in the last couple of games. They've not been on that form that they started with. They've lost four of their, three of the last four apologies. Is this more of their natural position now, sort of slowing, heading towards mid-table, Philip? Um, I think I think so. Uh, it's it's maybe a case of the bubble bursting, but if, if I look at the results, then you know it's not a catastrophic for a club like uh, like Toulouse, uh, especially after the couple of seasons they've had narrowly escaping relegation again and again under under Ari Bajian and under Duprat. So yeah, maybe they flattered they flattered to deceive, but when when you look at it, they're the last side to have beaten Monaco at home. So that was three one in October. So nil nil draw at Angers, not very surprising given uh, given the Angers uh, risk taking mentality. Game at home to Lyon, Lyon, Lyon um, 
played um, played a good game and really wanted wanting to win that one. Duat not, yeah. Again, I, I think I think uh, I think uh, maybe maybe the players would uh, would settle for for draw away from home and not push on for for a win. Um, given given the amount of effort you have to you have to put in, the one the only reason that really um, surprises me is the home defeat to Mets, and there was a there was an early penalty in that in that game. So not not really uh, not really surprised to see them slip, but there's still a very um, a very hard side, hard side. Sorry to uh, to beat. So yeah, maybe maybe going back to uh, mid-table mediocrity, which is uh, you know not not very surprising at all, given given that they finished seventeenth last season. Yeah, and mentioning that, Eric, they aren't enormously off the pace still. They're only maybe four points at the moment off Gangomp, who's sitting fifth. Can they still fight for Europe, or is this maybe a sign of them slowly waning after a fighting start and and more? Heading at least to a more comfortable position in mid-table. At least it's not heading towards that that bottom end. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- I, again, a, a loss at Ren, who I, I believe are still undefeated at home. Not no shame, yep. especially when you're missing the likes of Diop. Yago's played out of position. Uh, Silla's played it right back. Uh, Trejo's missing, and he he's Trejo's been I, I think had a really impressive start to the season. I should mention as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't I don't think that we should see this as like. A death knell for Toulouse or anything like that. I think we should we see this as a couple bumps in the road. They they played some strong opposition and and didn't get it done. Uh, let's look at the weeks ahead and and you know things should be a little bit easier for the club going forward. And are they going to continue to fight for Europe at season's end? I have my depth, especially as this match was a, a fine illustration of how their squad depth could t- <clears throat> could potentially be affected. But I don't think that they should be anywhere near. Pardon me, the relegation candidate that they were. I mean, let's see. They're at home to Montpellier Wednesday. And who else do they have uh, in the next few weeks? They're at home to Lorient in, in, a week, in two weeks' time. They're home to Nancy after, after the Coupe de la Ligue. And they're away to Dijon. I mean, that could be, you know, 12, mm-hmm. 10 points in the next two, in the next five league matches. And then, and then, and then what's our, our thought of them? Because they're back in fifth, they're back in fourth. So, I think any any real pronouncements about Toulouse need to need to be wait need to wait until the winter break at this point in time. Plus, you know, if you're a Toulouse fan, you wouldn't really um, be disappointed with a mid-table finish given given what's been going on the past few seasons. I'm sure they're no, fine also, with it. I mean, also get, let's we should look at their ambitions. This team was in in mm. in Europe and at the fringes of Europe going back to 2009, 2010, 2008, um, and they I, I think that they should be. Given the investment in the stadium, um, given um, given that there was some investment in playing staff this summer, and the the potential of the young players they have, I think they should be should be looking at at, at Europe at, as a as a re- realistic goal for this season. Yeah, absolutely, and and let's hope that that slide doesn't continue for too much longer. I want to. I, I don't know. Isn't that isn't that beyond Dupas' ceiling? I mean, has he ever managed that? Uh, not from memory. I don't think he's been no, anywhere uh, near Europe. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think this it's a, it's that type of a club that just <laughs> just wants to uh, to keep getting the the, the Liga uh, TV money and uh, be happy to just not go down. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's a lot of sides like this, like that. Sorry. Well, well, why do you say that? I mean, they they have been in Europe a couple of times in the last six or seven years. It's they're not you know they're not like a knot or a they're not a knot where their success is ancient history. 
You know, mm. Toulouse were in the Europa League. They were in, I believe, a Champions League qualifier as well. Yeah, they had seven or eight years. Qualify against Liverpool, yeah. Yeah. Was so the only, it, yeah. They're not, you know, they've got a big stadium. They're the only team in a in a fairly big geographic area. Uh, yeah. Bordeaux are their nearest neighbors, I think, in Liga. Where, where football is basically non-existent. Well, that's true. I, mean, I know rugby is more popular. But still, yeah. I mean, this this is a team that, that I think has ambitions uh, and shouldn't shouldn't be disheartened by a couple of poor results, especially given their injury, injury and suspension struggles. I mean, I think Jimmy Dermott might have missed the last match or the match before the suspension. He's been good since arriving. And that's the thing. The signing, the signing of a player like Dermot, or this, a player like Tovin, say what you will of him. These are, you know, internationals for a team that qualified for the European Championships. Uh, it's a, it's a Diop, Christophe, Christophe Julian. Um, you know, they, they're. I mean, no, no Diop's promotion, but the signing of players like Julian, Dermot, Tovin, shows that there is ambition in this club. That's not, that's not the spending of a club who wants to scrape eleventh or twelfth. That's, that's. I feel like an ambitious uh, set of acquisitions. No? I think you make an excellent point. And I think that yeah, it's difficult to tell, isn't it? I always think, and, and at least to lose a, a far away from the relegation troubles they've had in the past. But I, I do want to mention our, our, our last topic this evening, which is Monaco, who I w- want to make a brief statement before I, I allow you to, to discuss about it. And I think that Monaco are currently the best team to watch in Europe. I think they play fantastic football. I think in the last couple of games, I think it's the last four or five games especially, where I think that, I'm not sure if they... I think they only, the goal against Tottenham is the only goal they've conceded recently, I think, in the last five games. They've been uh, exciting. They've been looking to push forward. They can mix it up with anyone. Yeah, in the last... So in the last seven games, is that... Yeah, seven games, they've won six of those. That's a 6-2, a one-all draw against Saint-Étienne. Uh, 3-0 against Moscow, 6-0 against Nancy, 3-0 against Lorient, 2-1 against Tottenham, and the 4-0 at the weekend against Marseille. I think they've got a, an incredibly exciting squad full of young players that are playing absolutely sensational football. Uh, they probably should have got more than two against Tottenham in midweek. Yeah. They were probably... 4-0 does not flatter how well Monaco played at the weekend either, although they maybe stepped off the gas in the second half. And... Even that was even without probably their best two players in the Champions League game. I thought Lamar and Mandy were the best game players in that Champions League game. They neither of those played in the weekend, and they still won four 0 which just shows you what incredible talent they've got. Philip, can you think of anyone else better in Europe at the moment? I mean, there's a lot of teams that aren't quite at the level that they have been. Some people might argue RB Leipzig are very entertaining. Chelsea have had a really good run of results. But is there anyone better than Monaco, really? Yeah, but they're not in the Champions League. Very which true. Makes it, yeah, which makes it all the more exciting. I, it's, just, uh, it's just great to see uh, Monaco just um, playing so, so well against Spurs. And, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's not forget that Falcao missed a penalty. Well, it was rather an exceptionally good save by uh, Hugo Lloris, who uh, made other good saves uh, from open play it really is um yeah they're very they're very very um entertaining to watch and it's just completely different from what we used to see the last time they were in the champions league against against arsenal uh where they're basically part of the bus in the second leg being three one up from from um from the first uh, the first the first 90 minutes sorry 
so it's uh, yeah, it's it's great to, um, it's great to see. And uh, well, I was going to say uh, a ridiculous statement, which uh, doesn't sound so ridiculous now. So what you just said, Nathan, is uh, that so uh, yeah, Monaco can actually do something in the Champions League. Depends who they get in second, of course. So a lot of this does does depend, like we discussed last week, who wins between Borussia Dortmund and Real Madrid. Um, but either way, you know, uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a tough um, tough game. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really good to uh, to to see that Monaco are up for it. Monaco have uh, already won their group. That's uh, dead cert, uh, which is something not even PSG can can say right now. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's great to uh, it's great to have uh, that uh, that side. I remember the days of uh, of a uh, French side uh, scraping for a draw at home, and now you have uh, you have Monaco winning at uh, winning at Spurs. Monaco doing very very well in uh, in uh, in places like Russia. Actually, we do, um, French clubs uh, do have a decent record in in Russia in the past uh, in the past few years. But yeah, it's, uh, I do agree with you. I do agree with you, and I really hope uh, I think uh, Monaco can go far given the right pick of the draw. It's not like uh, PSG with uh, the all ultimate target, we have to win the Champions League as soon as possible, blah, blah, blah. It's uh, Monaco just there uh, for the ride, and I think they're going to have uh, a great time. And Eric, what do you think? I mean, there's, there's one game left in November as well, and they would have, if, if they can manage to avoid conceding against Dijon in midweek, that means they will have only conceded one goal in an entire month, which is pretty entertaining. It's when you think that they've scored, there's 9, 12... 14, 16 goals already in that month as well. It just shows you how impressive they've been, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, again, I'd really like to see them against a top-level uh, defense. I want to say that PSG did not have Marquinhos and Silva in the, when they beat them. Uh, let me check that. No, it was Kempembe and, it was Kempembe and David Luiz uh, when they, <laughs> they played... Uh, PSG early, earlier in the season. So I'd like to see them really <laughs> play against a, a top-level uh, defense. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's, hard to, it's, hard, it's hard to argue with what you both said. I think that uh, we looked at this group when the Champions League draw was made back in August, and I think most observers would have pegged it as extremely competitive, and for Monaco to have sealed it with a match to spare you know, is is massively impressive, especially when it arguably could have been more uh, factoring in the draw at uh, away to Moscow. I, yeah, I think that there's there's more to come for this for this team. I think that uh, Jemerson and Gleek have massively improved their understanding. They looked really open and really raw against Fenerbahce and Gangomp. Thinking back to the early Villarreal, even in their early their early matches, more clini more clinical. Approaches from those those three sides could have got Monaco off Monaco season off to a much different start, but they weathered that storm. And I think that you know we, we look at the the performance of Basilia as well. Um, there's still more to come from this team. Uh, the young right back Alami Torre, uh, Adama Traore. Uh, there's there's young talented depth to this team as well. So yeah, I, I think it's fantastic that that Liga are are the home to you know. I think now, rightly, what we say is a second power. And that's something that the league's really struggled with. Uh, back during Leon's period of dominance, you had a good, an odd good season from, from Marseille, an odd good season from PSG, but there weren't really two teams that were consistently uh, 
looking at success in Europe. And now, I know Monaco had a poor season in Europe last year, losing to Valencia but in the playoff rounds, but I think there's no reason this can't be sustainable. Even if they lose you know, the IQ player, say they lose, oh, I don't know. Uh, Fabinho, maybe? C to Bay, Fabinho, and Lamar. Um, I think they could ride that out. I, I still think that would make them the second-best team in Liga, and they'd be you know, right there. Uh, again, Torre would come in for Cidibe, Traore would come in for Fabinho, and you'd have Bastilia coming in come in for Lamar. Don't forget Alan Saint Maximin, who I, I think has had a great season thus far for Bastia, is still to come back on loan. He's another very exciting player who I think, you know, maybe has flattered to Steve a little bit in, at Bastia, but I think working into a system that's as tactically astute and and uh, and sound as what Leonardo Jardim has in place at Monaco, I think we'll get more out of him. Um, so yeah, I think there's more to come from this team, even if the transfer window does hit them hard. Yeah, and it's, it's seeing so many of these players that maybe hit a, a poor patch of form or maybe didn't start so well, and they've all seemed to have grown together. I mean, we were mentioning it. But the big question is, can they win the league? Well, that's the question I was about to ask Oh, you. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I um, think they win. Yeah. Do you think they were, do you think I, I actually think they're title favourites, so let's go with that. Do you think they're now, even though they're in second at the moment, title favourites? I think they will... Um... Never get a better chance of winning against uh, you know um, um, Page's dominance as uh, this season with the new management in place. And yes, I do believe they um, they will win the league due to uh, strength in in depth. Um, with uh, Mbappé, Lutano could get a couple of goals against against a smaller size with Germain, with uh, CDB Mendy, Jardim being uh, I think knowing more his squad and knowing. How many systems he can play? Because let's not forget he had the, he was tactically tactically very good against PSG in the game at um, at Widu at the end of August, I think it was, uh, where PSG were basically outplayed all year, couldn't go couldn't go forward. So I think Jardim knowing his his squad more than Unai knows his is a big advantage. It's a it's a massive advantage, and you know they are free scoring. I mean, it's like you know, no, no real, uh, you know, they're not uh, they're not um, shy, which could be could strangely be said of uh, of PSG in some some kind of uh, some kind of uh, of manner. Even though the stats really don't speak for that uh, for that statement. So yeah, in terms of of uh, the manager knowing knowing the club, being set in his ways, being I'm not going to say tactically better than Unai, but uh, so far with this, with their with their current clubs, yes, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, and and I I'm, don't mind saying it because <laughs> they they do play they do play uh, good football, and I do enjoy watching them much better than PSG, as uh, I'm sure a lot a lot of other people do. I think your analysis there pulls up an interesting point, really. I mean, about Leonardo Jardim and his time at Monaco. I mean, he's been there for, it's, it's what, it's about three, it's coming up to three years now, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, almost three years. Thirteen. Yes. It, Eric, is, there was moments where people questioned him. He didn't have a good start to his second season, you would say. There was moments where they differed in form or looked a little bit off the pace and, and dropped quite a bit. They but they always seem to have bounced back. Is this maybe an example of why you should give a manager time and try and give them an effort to put in their ideas? Because the way Monaco are playing now, like a drilled unit that can not only defend but attack so 
entertainingly and, and, and with such succinct movement with each other, it, it's, it really shows the work that the managers put in on the training round, doesn't it? As well as the talent. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, that first season, what he did uh, to revert from the Diamond 4-4-2 to overcome the losses of Falcao and uh, James Rodriguez to structure an entirely new team uh, and to keep turning that over. Losses of, let's face it, key players, Ferrer Carrasco, Marshall, Dogbia, Tulalong, um, I mean, Carvalho, you know, he was older, but still an important player. Uh, Eric Abadal mm-hmm. left. There, there's been a lot of turnover, and uh, Jardim has continually adapted his tactics, uh, moving to a 4-4-2, which, to my knowledge, um, I, I'm pretty well-versed on his career, even even in, in Portugal, but I don't think he's ever played that system before, but he's got it working brilliantly. Um, and he's got, you know, two strikers who, you know, seem to be totally an afterthought last season uh, as the prime focal point of his attack. And Lamar and Silva just seem to... Continue to turn up another level. Um, Mendy, in particular, has been you know a revelation, particularly in the last half dozen matches. I, I was a little bit doubtful about him earlier in the season. I, I would have said start CD Bay at left back and Raji at right back if it were a big match. But now I would have you know no no question. He was very good at Marseille, though. Ah, hmm. uh, Philip, I don't know. I you know no? he had his moments. I still I did not believe that he. Uh, had what had what it took defensively. I think he's a great crosser of the ball. He's quick. He's a good dribbler. Poor tackler. Bad discipline. Mm. I I really previous to this season, I would have had doubts about his defensive defensive abilities. Mm. I think that Plainer Jardim, who again made his mark as a defensive coach, if you look at his goals against average from his various spells in Portugal, he was always one of the best defenses in the league, and that was his hallmark. He's st- stuck with that, but he's. Adapted fantastically well to develop a consistently attractive, innovative, creative attacking system. Uh, even the success in that first season with that front three of Ferrer Carrasco, Marshall, and um, Silva was built on counterattacking play. Uh, but now he's got a team uh, that's got a dynamic midfield pairing in in Bakayoko. I mean, there's another player who was you know been a, pretty much a non-entity since arriving from Ren. Again, a lot of that had to do with injury and and being behind. Much more experienced likes of Kondogbia and uh, Tulalon at times, but he's another player who's totally blossomed this season. Mm-hmm. And with that kind of reputation, yeah, I mean, he any team that's got a good academy or a good focus like Monaco do on developing young talent. Obviously, Monaco haven't developed a lot of these players; they brought them in. Uh, but I mean, he's—you could arguably say he's the hottest property in in European management right now. I mean, he's he's done a fantastic job tactically and developing players, even even um, you know in in the course of you know just four or five months in the case of Mendy. I think their strengths in the um, and power in the transfer market is not to be is a bit underrated these days. I can uh, I can pretty much see uh, Leonardo Jardim watching Euro 2016 and watching Poland and watching Gleek and saying, "Okay, I want that guy." and um, Maybe not Ribolove, but whoever signs signs a check saying, "Okay, no problem," and uh, they sign uh, one of the best defenders of Euro 2016, which is not bad, you know, and which is certainly not what any what uh, every single Liga club or you know top division club in Europe. I'm thinking about so clubs in Italy and Spain who uh, probably don't have this um, financial muscle uh, can can afford. So. Yeah. 
yes, um, not only do they have uh, youth development and a very very good one, but they can they can get out the checkbook. Uh, probably not as uh, as easily as PSG, but um, still um, second. Let's see how Mr. McCourt behaves for Marseille. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. sorry, I just wanted to jump in yeah. again, again quickly. Uh, there's, um, I think Monaco are operating at a net profit since Rublev Bluff Love's divorce. If you think about the money they made mm. last year with Marshall, with, with um, yeah. Abdenor, <laughs> and with Kondogbia, uh, I think they're, well. yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're operating net profit over the last three years. That's mm. unbelievable. They got 8 million euros for Ivan Cavallero to Wolves. I mean... <laughs> Miracles do I, happen, is what you say. The saying. only misstep I would say that they've made, I, I, do, I do question the, the sale of Marcel Tisserand. I, that still doesn't make sense to me. But, yeah. you know, everything else they've done has been, has been, you know, pretty impressive in the transfer market. Did they make any money on El Shawawi? Uh, he was only on loan. Yeah, was oh, he was. Loan. Oh, that's, yeah. well, that's good. He was benched so as not to <laughs> activate his... Uh, mandatory buying uh, purchase clause. Yeah, okay. and then he's got, he's gone on to do quite well at Roma. So it's yeah. all well that end rolls for everyone, I think, on that one. But I, I have to agree they they do their business early as well. They tend to at least getting players in. So it just shows that they 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 just nail every from top to bottom. The club's got everything bang on at the moment, and more power to them. Hopefully, a club that is run so well with good management, great players a great recruitment system and a belief in getting younger players and improving them, it'd be great to see them win the league this season. It'd be a real great story. But that wouldn't be possible without great clubs like Manchester United giving them obscene sums of money. We, <laughs> we just like being part of... We just like, we just like being part of being helpful to everyone. Yeah. All, all uh, hell Manchester United for Monaco's success, really. Uh, I'll take that one for us. <laughs> that, that, that's all we have for this time this week. My thanks to Eric and Philip again. Join us for the preview show hosted by Eric on Thursday and we will see you here at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye. <laughs>